Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Ladies and gentlemen, it is good to be back with you here at Timberlake Church. Two weeks in a row, it is my privilege and my honor, and I had a couple people ask me in the lobby today, what do you do during the week? Do you go back home to Wisconsin? Eh, nope, don't do that. I said, uh, the Seattle area, as you know, the state of Washington has tremendous hiking, so that's what I do throughout the week. I connect with old friends, and uh, I go hiking, and Pastor Ben and Terry are gracious enough. Uh, they let me use their vehicle. Never driven in a Rolls Royce before, but that was nice. <laughs> Pastor Ben lets me use his private jet, so all those things are really fun and uh, make the most of my time here. Uh, so last week, we kicked off a very short two-week series. So it's hard to even call it a series, but it's a series that we're calling Hero Maker. And the whole idea behind the series is that we have to wrestle with the question, are we going to be a hero in this life, or are we going to be a hero maker? And we said that a hero is someone who loves to stand on platforms, and it's more of a metaphor, right? So this has nothing to do with personality and introvert and extrovert. But they love to stand on platforms in the way of they love to be recognized for their achievements and accomplishments and what they accumulate. They love to spend their life moving themselves forward and hopefully getting a little bit more spotlight and attention because of what they do. Whereas a hero maker is someone who uses their time and their talents and their resources and whatever's at their disposal to help raise up other people. They have, I see in you conversations. I see in you a tremendous leader. I see in you someone who is driven. I see in you a hard worker. I see in you someone who loves God deeply. I see in you someone who God deeply loves. And the interesting thing is that when we choose to be a hero maker, we quickly discover it's a win-win. King Solomon of Israel writes about this. He says, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So the question is, are we going to go through life being the hero or a hero maker? Now, of course, there's all sorts of heroes in our world. Some are men. Some are women. Some exist in fantasy. They exist in movies. They exist in comic books. Others exist in real life. Some heroes have been around for a very long time. Others are relatively new. And it's interesting because... Ever since we're kids, this hero thing is so much part of our culture that we're taught, and we may not be given these exact words, but we're taught we can be the hero. We can accomplish anything we set out to do, right? We can overcome any challenge that comes our way. And so from very early on, we learn to shine the spotlight on ourselves. And nowhere is this more seen and more evidenced in our culture than with selfies, Right? Every single day, there are more than 90 million selfies taken on Android devices alone. Now, if you have teenagers, that probably sounds a little bit low, right? <laughs> but 90 million on Android devices alone. Google says that there are 24 billion selfies a year that are uploaded to Google Photos. So that doesn't include Facebook. It doesn't include Instagram or Flickr or iCloud or photo sharing sites. So apparently, this is what we do all the time, just take pictures of ourselves. In fact, there are so many selfies that exist that we could actually break them down into categories, right? We could break down uh, inappropriate selfies. These are selfies that you take with 
your grandma at her funeral, right? And there's a lot more of these than you could imagine. There are selfies gone wrong, right? When you go to take a selfie and something <laughs> transpires that you weren't expecting. Uh, there are dangerous selfies, and these are becoming more and more common. We could actually call them selfie by death. More than 250 people have died in the last eight years, which is more than shark attacks and other freak accidents. But people want to risk getting the perfect photo. Uh, there are provocative selfies. All right, this is when you're showing just a little bit too much skin. Now, this particular girl, her dad was not impressed with her showing skin, so he decided to mimic her uh, photo. And he got so many likes and so many shares that he became known as Selfie Dad. And anytime he sees an inappropriate picture, in his opinion, he goes and makes a picture of it. But in our society, we place a lot of attention on ourselves. And the camera tends to be focused on us. And so you'd think we'd be fulfilled and you'd think we'd be happy and you'd think we'd be satisfied. But the truth is, when we make ourselves the hero, there is something that kind of feels empty about it. Which is why we're talking about being a hero maker. A hero maker is someone who uses their power and their influence to help others. This is not natural. Right? What's natural is to use the power and influence we have to help ourselves. You know, I was reminded of it this past week when I got pulled over for speeding. And so as the police officer was getting out of their vehicle, I kid you not, I thought, what power do I have right now that I can try to get out of this ticket? So I quickly changed the radio to Christian radio. <laughs> and put it on a lower volume, and then when the officer came to the window, he goes, where are we going in such a hurry? And I'm, I'm telling you the honest and God shit, this is what I said. I said, well, I am a pastor on my way to a church in the Tri-Cities area. I said, I recently spoke at a church in Redmond, Washington. And I said, so I've got this week in between. And I said, and I'll be honest with you, I just wasn't paying attention. It's my birthday, which it was. I said, it's my birthday, and I just kind of got distracted. And so he went back to his car for 10 minutes and he finally came back and he said, because it's your birthday, I've decided to only give you a ticket for 15 over instead of the 21 over that you were going. And I'm like, thank you, I think. Like that was kind of generous of you, but still $160 not generous, right? But a hero maker uses their power and influence to help others. And, and the easy thing for us to do is dismiss this idea because... We don't think of ourselves as people of power, but we all have power. If you're a parent, you got power over your kids to a certain point. If you're a teacher, you got power over your classroom. You, some of you have political power. You have influence in local politics and state politics, maybe national. Some of you have social power because of your personality. You can get people together and you can throw parties and everybody likes to be around you. Others have uh, family power. You were born into a family. Now because of your last name, you've got connections. People know you. There's organizational power that you're the CEO, you're the president, you started the company, you're the boss. There's positional power, maybe you're the coach, you're the teacher. There, you're the manager, right? Some, in fact, as Americans, we all have financial power. We can all pay someone to do something for us, but even by American standards, some have more financial power than others, and people treat you a certain way or talk to you a certain way because of that. And so what I hope we see is that all of us have power, and the question we need to ask ourselves is very simply this. How will I use my power? Naturally, most people are going to use the power they have to protect their power, to get ahead, to one-up others. And that's, how, that's why we have so many heroes in our culture, right? Because that's what we tend to do with our power. The other option is to use the power we have to serve others and to elevate others and to help make others 
the hero. Hero makers understand that the power we have is, is a stewardship issue. All power is stewardship. In other words, it's given to us for a season. We have it for a short amount of time, and eventually we're not going to have it anymore. So while we have it, we have to steward it well. Because if you have young kids in the home, you won't always have the same power over them that you have today. If you're a teacher, you won't always have the same classroom. If you're an employer, you have great power in representing the company. If you're, um, if you're the employee, if you're the employer, you obviously have great power in how you manage people and, and the influence on their lives. And, but you won't have it forever. Eventually, we resign, we retire, we move on, we die. All power is stewardship. Now, most of you are familiar with the name Robert Kraft, right? the owner of the New England Patriots. Today, he is not doing that well. His life is a mess, but 14 years ago, he was on top of the world. It was 2005, the Patriots had won their third Super Bowl, and a few months after the Super Bowl, Robert Kraft, along with some business partners of his, traveled to Moscow. They went to the Kremlin, and while they were at the Kremlin, they had the opportunity to meet with Vladimir Putin. Well, these business guys knew that Putin is a great, uh, or a big sports fan. And so some of these business guys started pressuring Robert Kraft to take off his Super Bowl ring and let Putin see it. And so after a little bit, he decides to kind of play along. He takes off his ring and he hands it to Putin and lets him see it. And he lets him uh, even try it on and, and hold it and... And after several moments had gone by, Kraft puts out his hand to get the ring back. Which then, according to the people in the room, Putin takes the ring, puts it in his pocket, three guys from the KGB come around him, and they walk out of the room together. And Kraft says, I didn't know what to do. Here's this expensive ring, 124 diamonds encrusted on it. His name is engraved on it. It's got tremendous sentimental value to him. And so he just, at that point, kept quiet. He returns to the States. He reports what happened uh, with the ring. And the U.S. State Department said, well, in the interest of U.S. public relations, we just encourage you to call it a gift. And Kraft said, but it wasn't a gift. And they said, but you don't understand. There's guys all the time that go in and hand Putin and guys like him gifts. Right? He's a world leader, and so uh, we encourage you just to call it a gift in the interest of U.S. and Russia relations. Well, Kraft went along with it. He said, okay. And then a couple years later, he decided to break his silence. And, and I hesitate saying this because I don't know if the KJB, KGB watches online, uh, but what an arrogant thing for Putin to do, right? To take this ring that he was let, let hold for a little bit and then put it in his pocket and act like he had anything to do with a Super Bowl win. But in reality, this is a great metaphor for all of us. Uh, it's very easy for us to look at our influence and our power and our opportunities and experiences we've gone through in life and look at the areas of life in which we have power and just kind of convince ourselves, well, we're the one who earned this. We're the one who got ourselves to this position so we can do whatever we want. Well, the truth is that in this life, we've all been handed certain cards. We didn't choose the cards we're holding. You didn't choose your personality. You didn't choose the family you were born into or adopted by. You, you didn't choose your passions. You didn't choose your gift mix. You didn't choose the experiences you would go through in life. You might have capitalized on those things. Right? You didn't choose your IQ. You might have made the most of the IQ you were given, but you and I have been handed by God cards in this life, and ultimately, it is his doing 
And he is the reason we hold the cards we hold in our hand. The Apostle Paul, in a letter he wrote in the first century, alludes to this. He asks the question, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So when you look at your talent, and, and you look at your personality, and you look at the family you were born into, and the opportunities that you've had, the only real reaction ought to be just gratitude. But it's hard to have that sometimes because we, we look at some cards we're holding and say, eh, I actually wish I wasn't holding that card. But I want you to know whether they're good cards or bad cards, every card that we're holding in this life, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason that God gave you the cards that he has allowed you to have. There's a purpose for it. And hero makers understand this because hero makers are driven by purpose. They understand that purpose matters. Or think about this. The great businesses in our world are businesses that have a purpose, they stay focused, and they're on purpose. The, the most impactful meetings in our world are the ones that have a clear purpose. If you've ever been to a meeting without a clear purpose or a clear agenda, you know they can be a waste of time. Maybe you've led one of those meetings, right? Uh, tools have a purpose. If you use a tool for something other than its purpose, it can be frustrating. And worse than that, it can do a lot of damage. So what is your purpose? Is it to achieve? Is it to accomplish? Is it to keep making a bigger and better name for yourself? Or is it something greater than that? Why do you exist? What is your life about? Author Mark Twain wrote this. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. So why are you here? Hero makers find their purpose and they realize it's bigger than themselves now just so we're on the same page the dictionary defines purpose this way that purpose is the reason for which something exists or is accomplished it's the reason for which something exists or is accomplished which is a great definition but if we were to slow down and we were to pay attention to each and every one of these words it will cause a little bit of tension in us because none of us want to be the reason for something we all want to be the something. We all want to be the focus. We all want to feel significant. We all want to know that our life matters. We don't want to be the reason for something. We want to be the something. But if we're going to live a life of purpose, we need to understand that purpose really is just a means to an end. So the purpose of a hammer isn't just a hammer. It's not to pound on nails and to hit things. The purpose of a hammer is to build something. It's to construct something, to create something. The purpose of a meeting isn't to just have small talk and meet people. That may happen, but the purpose of a meeting is to hopefully create something together and to move the mission forward. The, picture of a, uh, the purpose of a picture frame isn't to sit on a desk and take up space. It's not really even to just hold a picture. The purpose of a picture frame is to hold a picture that will trigger memories and to bring you back in time a little bit. The purpose of a book, it's not just to have words on a paper. Any of us can put words on a paper. It's not just so that we have something to read. It's that there's something to entertain us. Something that brings us to a different spot. There's something maybe to learn or to grow as human beings. Purpose is a means to an end. And I want you to know the purpose of your life and the purpose of my life is way bigger than just our life. Now what's cool about a topic like this is regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, regardless of what your religious background is, regardless of what you even believe about God, I think almost all of us can get on the same page with this. That, yeah, the purpose of my life, it's bigger than my life. 
But what's interesting is that for followers of Jesus, our worldview and our thinking about purpose is rooted in this idea that we believe God created everything. We believe as followers of Jesus, and this is what kind of fuels our ideas and thoughts about purpose, is we believe that God created everything on purpose and for a purpose. That God made everything on purpose and for a purpose. We don't know how he made everything. We don't know the exact timing of everything, right? Did God plant trees with just a seed and then let them grow? Did he create fully grown trees? With three? Like, we don't know that stuff. But we do believe that God made the planets and the oceans and the rivers. We believe he made mountains and valleys. We believe that he created billions and billions of stars and billions and billions of galaxies. That he made the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called love. Like, we believe God made it all. And we believe that God made humans. He made you and he made me. King David of Israel reflects on this. Here's what he writes. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Time out. He says, God, when I look at my life, and I look how complex I am, I look at my interests, I look at uh, just how multifaceted I am, I look at my personality, my passions, I don't understand it all, I don't know how it all works together, but I'm blown away and I'm grateful for how you made me. He says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You are not an accident. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. So growing up, your parents might have referred to you as the mistake by the lake, but I want you to know you are not the mistake. God doesn't make mistakes, right? He, he doesn't make, he doesn't have accidents. And so God made you and he formed you and even after you were born, he continued to use people in your life and circumstances and events to form you and to shape you into who you are today. And it's so hard to imagine this, but God does use the good and the bad. He uses the wins and the losses. The cards that we're holding in our hand, they're not all fun cards to be holding. But God uses all of that to make us who we are today. When I look back at my life, some of the worst moments in my life gave birth to something new. Some of the losses, the challenges, the defeats. And you, I, I never see it at the time. And in different settings and in different groups, I've talked about these things. I've talked about how the death of my brother Rick in 2008 is what gave me the courage. He was killed in Iraq, and it gave me the courage to move from Seattle, where I was at the time, back to my hometown in southeast Wisconsin to start a church. I talked about it, I dreamed about it, but I never had the courage, and his death just kind of gave me the courage. I realized life is short. Talked about how my wife and I, a couple years ago, went through a very low point. There was so much stress in our life, and our marriage started really to fall apart, and so we ended up going to regular counseling, and then on one occasion, we actually went to week-long marriage counseling. She needed it, believe me. And so... <laughs> No, but we, we, went to, we went to counseling, and guess what? It's given me this huge heart for couples going through difficult time in their marriage. My, my son, Jaden, when he was born, his birth mom put him in a duffel bag underneath a car in a hospital parking lot. And so my wife and I were able to bring him into our home as a foster child, and then we were able to adopt him, and it's given me a huge heart for those in the foster community. The Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, we know 
that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He doesn't say everything's good, but he says God can use it for good. So when you look at the cards you're holding, right, you don't like all of them, but God says, I can use them all. There's a bigger purpose for them. So think of your life as just a bunch of ingredients, right? There are ingredients that I just do not like by themselves. I, I don't go and just, when I'm hungry, have a teaspoon of salt. I don't have raw eggs. I, I, I when I'm, you know, just wanting something to eat, just don't put my hand in a bag of flour. Right? Butter by itself. Now, that could be good. But you, you put a bunch of ingredients that aren't all that great by themselves, and you put them together, and you add some chocolate chips. Now we're talking. Right? And God does that with our life. He says, man, everything you go through, good and bad, I can use for a greater purpose. But do not miss this. The greater good and the greater purpose is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And our purpose on this planet isn't to just be endlessly interested in our superficial selves. It's not to just obsess over what we want and what we have and what other people think of us. Because our glory is way too little of a thing to live for. Our accomplishments too little of a thing to live for because we're going to be buried with our accomplishments. Our success, our comfort, way too little of a thing to live for because someday that's going to die off with us. This is why it's possible to make tons of money and have a comfortable life and have enough free time to be able to do what we want to do and actually to be physically healthy and to have kids that love us and maybe be in a relationship where we feel very, very loved and accepted and yet something still deep inside says, man, there's got to be more. It's why at times we will still feel empty because we were made for something bigger than ourselves. But very few people on this planet, if we're honest, will ever live a true life of purpose. And that's because purpose does cost us something. Right now, Larry Merlot is the president and CEO of CVS Pharmacies. And some of you will remember this. Uh, a few years ago, back in 2014, CVS found itself in this internal wrestling match between profits and purpose. And they really struggled with the decision they were making. Uh, CVS decided to become the first major U.S. pharmacy chain to stop selling tobacco products. And the board of directors knew this is going to cost us a lot of money. But they made the decision, and Larry decided to explain why on their website. In fact, even to this day, their explanation is there. He says, ending the sale of cigarettes and tobacco products at CVS Pharmacy is simply the right thing to do for the good of our customers and our company. Why? Because the sale of tobacco products is inconsistent with our purpose, helping people on their path to better health. Now, don't miss this. They decided they were willing to pay the price. And it cost them, not millions, it cost them billions of dollars. Purpose is costly. It always has a price. This is why we look at people who are living their lives on purpose and we admire them. It's the reason why we can look at a company that's obviously being driven by purpose and we admire them because we know it costs them something. And it's the reason why it's so hard to live lives of purpose because purpose costs us comfort at times, costs us resources, costs us energy, can cost us a reputation. It certainly will cost us friends who don't understand why we do what we do. To live a life of purpose, we're gonna have to say no to a whole lot of things so we can say yes to the right things. Cheryl Batchelder is an extraordinary businesswoman. If you know anything about her life, she's just an extraordinary human being. She was the president of KFC 
for a little bit, and then she went on to be the CEO of Popeyes. And uh, for the 10 years that she was the CEO of Popeyes, uh, she turned the company around, and they made, it, made lots and lots of money. But a few years ago, she wrote a book called Dare to Serve, and in the book, she talks about purpose. Here's what she writes. She says, the point of purpose is to determine how you will serve others. Okay? How you will be a hero maker. She doesn't use that word, but that's roughly what she's saying. If you don't plan to serve, you don't need a purpose. You cannot divorce purpose from serving others. You cannot divorce purpose from being a means to an end. But it's so easy to forget. I mean, the disciples of Jesus who spent more time with Jesus than anybody, they forgot it on a regular basis, and you see it in their discussions, and you see it in their arguments and in their behavior. In fact, on one occasion, they get into an argument about who's going to be the greatest. And, and, and in the afterlife, who gets to sit closest to Jesus and have a position of power and authority? And, and Jesus is watching this unfold, and he's just like, how have you missed it? And so he calls them together. We read that Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you currently feel like something is missing in your life, if you feel restless, if you struggle with feeling like your life is a life of purpose, I want you to know that can change. You can live a life of purpose. Absolutely. But you got to lay down the idea of being a hero. And you've got to choose that my life is going to be bigger than just me. I'm going to be a hero maker. And all through the ancient scriptures, we see this happen with individuals who encounter Jesus. It's like their eyes were open to a bigger world than just them. I don't know if you realize this. The number one emotion that people had when they encountered Jesus is they were astonished. Astonished at his teaching, astonished at how he treated people. And so Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, and his priorities change. And he goes from being greedy Zacchaeus to generous Zacchaeus. A woman who is involved in an adulterous relationship, she encounters Jesus. You know what happens? Her self-image starts to change. And no longer does she find her identity in men, she finds her identity in God. Her life becomes bigger than just her. Saul the terrorist encounters Jesus, and he goes from persecuting followers of Jesus to becoming Paul the Apostle and helping fuel the message of Jesus. And all throughout history, we can look, there are literally hundreds of thousands of examples of what happens when people encounter Jesus. Just one modern example, and I could give you so many. Uh, Scott Harrison, the founder and CEO of Charity Water. I've heard Scott speak on several occasions. It's always emotional. He talks about, as a young adult, his life being consumed with sex and alcohol and money and strip clubs and being addicted to all sorts of substances. He says he was a nightclub promoter and he was at the top of his game. But he felt empty. In his own words, he says, I was spiritually bankrupt. I was morally bankrupt. I was emotionally bankrupt. And he says, again, his own words, that I started to try to find my way back to a very lost faith. He started to encounter Jesus again. And Jesus started softening his heart and opening his eyes to some of the needs around the world. And Scott decided, I'm going to use my influence and my power and the abilities God's given me, I want to do something bigger than just me. 
So we started Charity Water, an organization that brings drinking water to developing countries. And today, almost 10 million people have clean drinking water because of Scott Harrison's and Charity Water. And what's interesting is God used the ingredients of his life his experience as a nightclub promoter, his ability to raise funds, the things that he learned in throwing different parties, and said, so now I'm gonna use it for a bigger purpose. And I hesitate even telling you Scott's story because, come on, we dismissed that. Ah, I'm not Scott. Uh, he's an off-the-charts leader, of course. God could use him, and you're not Scott. And you're not the person next to you, and you're not the people in your family or the people you work with. You are you. So who are you going to be? What is going to be the purpose of your life? And if that question confuses you or maybe you get lost a little bit, let me give you three simple steps on how you can truly identify that purpose because I know it can be a confusing question. So, and we'll just walk through these fairly quickly. Number one, you want to live a life of purpose? Look at everything you do through the lens of a bigger picture. Look at everything you do through the lens of a bigger picture. If you're someone who hates even thinking about purpose because you're like, oh, I'm in a dead-end job, I'm going nowhere, Look at that dead-end job through the lens of a bigger picture. That dead-end job is what allows you to have food and clothing and shelter. It gives you a foundation for life. You need that. Whatever your job description, your life's so much bigger than that job description. You teach students, you're so much bigger than just a teacher who's got students in the classroom. You're an accountant, you do so much more than crunch numbers and put together budgets and do accounting. You're so much bigger than someone who sells homes and sells cars. And if you're a parent, you, you do so much more than just raise kids. But you've got to, if you're going to live a life of purpose, do the mental exercise of saying, I see everything I do through the lens of a bigger picture. So 10 years ago, I started Great Lakes Church in southeast Wisconsin. And we've grown over the years. And uh, probably my greatest privilege of pastoring the church I pastor is 27 of my neighbors who were not going to church before now are a part of Great Lakes Church. It is the greatest joy when I look out and see neighbors that I've invited. And I'm an extrovert, so I'll go to all the neighborhood parties. And one of the biggest questions that I'm asked when I'm at these parties is, well, tell me about Great Lakes. What, what kind of church is this? You know, is this a cult? And I say, eh, kind of. And, and, you know, what, what kind of church? And, and here's what I never say. I never say, we are a non-denominational Christian church that holds weekly services. Never. Every single time someone asks me, I have a similar answer, and I say it in different ways, but I'll say things like, you're probably not going to understand everything, but here, basically we're a church that's doing our best to lead people out of spiritual confusion. We're, we're a church that tries to help families stay together. We're a church that when couples are at odds with each other, they have a safe place for hope and healing and hopefully come, come back together. We're a church that tries to remove the shame factor so people can go on their, shame, their, their spiritual journey without a whole bunch of hurdles and guilt. We're a church that's trying to lead teenagers onto a straight path. It does our best to put an anchor in the hearts of children so they don't drift too far in life. These are the answers I give. We're a church that's decided we're going to be the voice for those with special needs and speak for people who can't speak for themselves sometimes. We're, we're, we're a church that takes kids in foster care and treats them like royalty. Truly, we're just a messed up church of just people trying to move forward in the spiritual journey, but we're just helping one another. You want to be a person of purpose, you've got to look at everything you do through the lens of a bigger picture. Sometimes when I'm out in the community, actually, it's every couple of weeks, I'll have someone who interrupts a dinner with my family or 
interrupts me while I'm shopping, and I love it. I never get irritated by it, and they'll say, Dave, real quick, just want to say thanks for starting the church. Here's the impact it made on my life, and, and, and I'm always gracious in hearing the stories, and I say thank you, and I, it means something to me when they share that, but I said, I'm, seriously, I'm not trying to be super humble here, but if you want to really thank somebody, you need to go find my dad, and you need to thank my dad, because my dad attends our church. So does my mom, but my, my dad attends our church, but I said, here, here's, here's the deal. I grew up in a home that was a good home, a godly home. I, my parents modeled Jesus for me. I grew up attending church services. So for me, starting Great Lakes Church was kind of a natural result of how I was brought up. It wasn't that difficult. I mean, it took some risk and all that kind of stuff. But so if you really want to thank someone, find my dad because that wasn't his story. Right? My dad grew up in a good home, but when his father would drink, his father was an alcoholic, he would become very abusive. My dad spent some time in foster care. God wasn't a part of the picture of his life. And when he was in his early 20s, he saw some patterns and behaviors and addictions that had gotten so into him that he knew, hey, my family's going to look like the family I grew up in. And I don't want that. And so he looked at his life through the lens of a bigger picture and said, I want to change the family tree for my kids. And he didn't really know where to start. But at my mom's kind of prodding him. And he just said, okay, I'm going I'm to show up to a church environment. And he did that for a while. And then eventually he opened his heart to Jesus Christ. And he said, God, if you're real, I want you to change my heart. And I didn't grow up with an angry dad and bitter dad, and I'm sure some of that stuff there from his past, but he tells me stories and the holes that are punched in the wall, and he'd tell me stories of kind of the addiction. I didn't see any of that because he chose to look at life through the lens of a bigger picture, not knowing that someday there'll be a church in southeast Wisconsin. A couple thousand people will be being affected on a regular basis because of his decision. You want to live a life of purpose? Look at it through the lens of a bigger picture. Number two, pay attention to what stirs your heart. So what is it that breaks your heart and gets you emotional and keeps you awake at night? What is it that you'd love people to line up and thank you for at the end of your life? That doesn't mean you have to start anything. Maybe you just identify with something. If you can't identify one of the many ministries in this church that, that serves other people and helps other people, you can't identify something you've connected with yet, you've got to do it to live a life of purpose. Just over six years ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and saw a video posted by a friend of mine who had started a prom for individuals with special needs. And it was very emotional for me to watch. And I went back a couple days later, watched it again. I'm wiping tears. Even a couple weeks after that, I couldn't get away from it. And so I just shared at the church I pastor, someday I'd love to start a prom for individuals with special needs. And sure enough, a whole bunch of people said, we identify with that. And over the last six years, we've thrown a night to remember prom and 150 kids will show up to this event. We cheer them on and we celebrate them. And this last year, the Rotary Club in our community said, we want to take it over. We want this to be a part of what we do. So we handed it off to them. And four years ago, I had a guy named John Schweider sit me down and said, Dave, I know foster care is huge on your heart. You've brought in your own kid and adopted Jaden. And he said, would you ever consider hosting a camp for kids in foster care? And he shared this dream of Royal Family Kids Camp, this organization. And he said it would be an investment of tens of thousands of dollars. And I couldn't escape it. And so we started a camp four years ago. And now for the last four years, we've had this camp. It's been growing and making a difference. What is it that stirs your heart? Find something. Finally, the one more thing that you can do if you want to be a person of purpose is just surround yourself with on-purpose people with people who aren't afraid to give themselves to something bigger, because you know this. Selfishness is, is contagious, but so is selflessness. Greed is contagious, but so is generosity. This is why 
Solomon writes, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. Who are you hanging out with? Are you hanging out with people who want to be the hero? Or are you hanging out with hero makers? Imagine what it would look like if everybody in this church decided we're going to do our best to look at life through the bigger lens. And, and, and we're going to do our best to find out what stirs our heart and respond to it. And we're going to do our best to hang out with people who are giving themselves to something bigger than themselves. Jesus said this. He was very clear on it. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So you're holding cards in your hand. Some you like, some you don't like. Some are wins, some are losses. But you're holding them. And there's a purpose for them, and the purpose is bigger than you. So are you going to use them to be a hero or a hero maker? Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.